Hey guys, and welcome to the third episode. Today is all about technology and artificial intelligence with our guest, Jonathan Berthe. Jonathan is the founder and CEO of RoboVision, a company specialized in deep learning-based machine vision and robot programming, and is focused on the design, development, and deployment of complete automation projects. So, Jonathan, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Okay, for, for some people, uh, life in isolation has to some extent been a period allowing more time for themselves. Uh, yes. To need more, to pick up a new hobby. Thinking about the ambitious project of RoboVision, um, it has made a bit of the media as well. So I assume you and your team, uh, in contrast, have probably been working quite a lot these past months. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we've decided at the start of the Belgian lockdown to... I mean, put our company tagline, democratizing AI, into action um, in the context of the COVID crisis. Uh, meaning that, um, yeah, there is a lot of fuss about testing people. And one of the big disadvantages of uh, the current way of testing with PCR is that it's not rock solid. Um, it is a binary test, black or white. And we've uh, come together with some radiologists, some international renowned radiologists, uh, in order to come up with a CT-based AI scanning. Uh, CT is actually quite a resilient method to scan for COVID because the battleground of the COVID viruses are the lungs, and they have very significant uh, kind of opaque glass artifacts that people tend to have if they have uh, serious COVID um, problems. Uh, and that's why with RoboVision, we have enabled our platform, an AI platform, to onboard uh, about 40 hospitals Europe-wide and to um, everything along the GDPR rules and uh, regulations to um, make sure that this data gets annotated, gets curated by radiologists uh, in order to make uh, a deep learning model that can um, very precisely tell how severe the covid damages in the lungs are. So we come up with, um, with a percentage where other models come up with a binary, yes, COVID, no COVID. Um, so we want to be the best in class, meaning that we want to do our homework right. We're also working together now, uh, discussing a cooperation with Stanford University around this COVID uh, um, project. So it's becoming more and more international uh, with a lot of high-profile companies supporting us. Also, you can find more on the website. And yeah, that's uh, what we've been doing for the last weeks, um, enabling uh, this data, putting it uh, into value with deep learning, with automated uh, model creation. So to sum up, we, so you have lung scans, CT lung scans of, uh, of COVID-19 patients. And the problem is yes. that the process of diagnosing those to be yeah. uh, to need in intensive care or not is yeah. really slow at this moment and that your technology would improve the diagnosis of that yes i mean it's um it's a problem of quantification uh, qualification is quite easy a radiologist can rapidly diagnose whether it's covid or not i mean at face value looking at the scans but to know how severe they are is a matter of labeling these kind of COVID artifacts and to know how much percentage of the lungs is severely affected. And because we're talking about a volume, it is not so 
easy for a human to just come up with, oh, this is 47% damage. You simply cannot see it at face value. You cannot see it easily. And that's why AI um, can do it much more rapidly and much more securely um, because of the fact that uh, it can work on 3D volumes. It has 3D eyes, whereas um, we only have 2D eyes. You understand? Yeah, okay. And you, as you said, you want to be the best in class on that part. So how, yeah. so how have you, how is the homework to say so uh, going right now? How is the progress of this project? Because I read in the, in some articles that, um, and this was months ago, that it would take three weeks to make a validated tool. Yeah. Um, has this been realized already? Uh, we have a very good working lung segmentation. We have first results with the COVID detection. The thing is that uh, privacy regulation in hospitals, if you want to play and abide by the rules, um, is a whole flow that we underestimated. So uh, meaning that uh, it has to go through the ethical committees. It has to be approved by the DPO. Yeah. It, has to be, it has to go through all this. And it's going really fast in comparison with non-corona times. Let's be clear about it. But still. I mean, there are many questions, there are many uh, yeah, issues privacy-wise in terms of validation and so on. So um, the, the data has been more slow to come in than we hoped and expected. Uh, but it doesn't really matter in the sense that um, this corona crisis will be there for yeah, many more months uh, and years. And the damages that COVID patients have tend to stick for much more longer than the the virus uh, artifacts, uh, the virus um, uh, period. Um, so it's it's really important to have a very good model, uh, also, uh, yeah, off-peak time. So not only for the the period when Corona is peaking, but also just to follow up on on uh, heavy cases and to have a very clear segmentation. And what is more important also is that the data creation needs to be done really well because. Um, with deep learning, uh, a technique in, in the AI context, it is really garbage in, is garbage out. So we invested a lot in partnerships with the right um, tooling uh, to have yeah, smart brushes, to have 3D uh, enablement. A partner of ours is uh, Infusion in uh, Munich, a German company. They have a really Dicom native way of, of, of labeling. And this enables a lot of radiologists to really um, yeah, create the data in a rapid way, but also in a very precise way. And that's what we want. We want a very precise tool to enable all these hospitals that are in our network be able to scan rapidly for the percentage of lung damages. Okay. The application of this AI tool really shows the, um, the preoccupation for the moment with the health sector, with um, all kinds of collaboration with different sciences to to come to a, the best solution for this crisis. Do you think this is an application of AI? Do you think the development of AI will be slowed down because of this unilateral focus on the health sector? What are your thoughts? No, it's, it's not an uh, or, uh, it's, it's end of course, uh, in the sense that uh, it's on the contrary, uh, AI developments will rapidly flourish because they are absolutely needed on the plane of drug discovery to uh, yeah, to look for new type of molecules to, uh, to to really combat the virus in a in a molecular approach, uh, but also in the context of data processing. Uh, if 
nation states and governments have realized one thing, it is that data is so a high likelihood of having uh, COVID, yes or no. So um, on the contrary, AI will um, go through of, of becoming more and more important, not only in, in the scientific world, but also in society as, a, as the reference tool to actually operate society. If you look at relaxing the measures, if you look at one country to another, if you look at Taiwan, for instance, it is because they have a data-first approach. Um, uh, Korea, the same. Um, and if there is one thing we are struggling with in Belgium, it is with the data, because we decided for obscure reasons to go for call centers. And now after deciding on a budget of 100 million euros, all of a sudden we realize that people are not telling the truth. Duh. You could have known that before, you understand? Mm. Yeah. And talking about AI and, and the how it is developing, um, I, I wonder, because I had a discussion recently with some of my friends where we uh, discussed on the future of AI, and I took the point that Elon Musk also takes, namely that we should be careful on boosting AI research, because one day it could be that developed that's out of our control. That's the typical concern in, in, this, in this discussion. Now, that sounds very sci-fi and Terminator-like scenario, but is it that far from reality? How fast are we moving with respects to deep learning, AI, or automation? Oh, we're moving fast, very fast, much faster than the um, law of more, which was known for CPUs and processors for so many years. Um, we've seen with AI and especially deep learning parallel compute and for instance also with the new Ampere architecture of NVIDIA that there is a rapid acceleration and this rapid acceleration is default uh, in the sense that on the hardware level it's going much faster new generation is like three times faster across the board than the older generation of, of deep learning hardware but also on the tooling people scientists are much better at um, yeah, coming up with lightweight neural networks that can perform as good as the heavy neural networks of two, three years ago. So we, we go through a rapid acceleration and this will uh, be there for the years to come. And regarding the remark of Elon Musk, I, I think Elon Musk, especially the last months, uh, is becoming more like a cowboy in the sense that, yeah, he's, he was also... Yeah, the, the, the head of AI of Facebook um, said that he had no clue when he was talking about AI. I think we shall just concentrate on the positive stuff, the commoditization of AI, the commoditization of this great tooling. Uh, I mean, if you look at electricity, if you look at um, yeah, military technology like uh, engines of, of, uh, of, of airplanes and, and missiles, they all have a yin and a yang. They all have a good and a bad side. And I think the good sides, uh, the good arguments for AI are outweighing the, the bad uh, things. Um, and if you look at, for instance, global warming and so on, it's also about data. It's about knowing who's emitting which gases, uh, which gases are most, uh, uh, are, are the worst for global warming. It's, it's all about 
uh, data processing. We, we will enter a time where the whole world will have a digital twin and where the model will predict what will happen to society, what will happen to the world, what will happen to companies and cars in terms of autonomous driving and so on. So it's, it's really important to, to embrace this. Um, we can only um, live in harmony with this planet if we embrace technology to the fullest extent. Otherwise, yeah. we're, we're too much, simply. Yeah, yeah it's, it's this embracing that really comes forward also in what Elon Musk says. Uh, I don't know if he's completely an expert on that, on that part, as, you, as you've said as well. I would doubt so. Okay, but he, he says, like, it's inevitable that AI surpasses us. The yeah. way that we should live with it is in some kind of symbiosis that we should live together with it, like we're actually doing right now already with our phones, that, is, that could be seen as some kind of extension of ourselves. That it's more, if you can't beat them, join them kind of mentality, then uh, we're gonna stay on top all the time. So is that something you, you agree on? Yeah, of course. I mean, the commoditization of a technology is the natural flow of a new technology in the sense that people will stop talking and philosophizing about it because it's just there, it's normal, it's, it's everywhere, it's commoditized. I mean, nobody's talking about electricity. Nobody's saying like electricity has ba bad sides also. It can, it can power the computers of hackers. It can uh, put people uh, on, the, on, the, on the electric chair. Nobody's talking about that for the simple reason that it's obvious. It's part of our lives. It's part of who we are. I mean, uh, and it, it will be uh, the same with AI. It will be so much part of our life that the terminology AI will not be discussed anymore in a few years. We, we will not wake up uh, with killer robots on the street. It's, it's a, it will be a gradual introducing process. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there will be very bad military technology based on AI. Don't make yourself illusions. Mm. But it will be everywhere in the sense that um, yeah, in your phone, it's already in your phone, of course, but yeah, even in, in, in your home appliances, it will be there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's important to keep track of the ethical aspects. I'm not saying that we have to forget about all these. We have to really work on, uh, on de-biasing AI so they can be racist and they, can, they are actually operating society in a good and, and truthful way. But at the same time, I mean, we may not just push the technology away. That would be a waste of, uh, yeah, of, of, of efforts. You understand? Yeah. How much faith do you put in, in AI and in technology? Because one thing we realized observing our, our global reaction to this crisis is that we put so much faith in science and technology and in, uh, in, yeah, in, in biology, etc maybe even more than we put in government interventions. So is this to some extent blind reliance on science justified? Do you think technology can save us? Oh, I, I, technology is worth so much more than politicians that are not um, abiding to the facts. If you look at President Trump and how he's just playing um, the American society with just putting bollocks and, and, and outright right, lies out there. I think technology and science are the essential 
fundam fundamentals of society because everybody agrees or has to agree on the facts and and those that are not agreeing on the facts are either manipulating them or just not educated enough uh, or, or, or unknowledgeable un about them. So I think technology and especially science is so important to keep our society transparent, to keep it, uh, to challenge the, the, the power systems. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. If you look at the, the impact of the internet, it has uh, led to a, a tremendous wave of transparency. We can be, I mean, we can be journalists being normal people. We can look up things and we can make our opinions based on, based on facts. And that's all based on technology. It's, it's because of technology, because of the discovery of the true nature of quantum mechanics that we have PCs and servers and that we have internet, that we have smartphones. So we shall, um, yeah, we shall always respect the, the, the technological history that we've built as society because it's, it's what, what makes us um, into transparent societies. What then, because, so you put a lot of trust in, in technology, what then with the issue of oversight, what then, if you think about the, the urn of invention of, of Nick Bostrom, what is, so the chances will approach 100% uh, to explain to the people, the urn of invention is the idea that you have, the inventions of humankind can be collected in an urn, and you pull out white balls and gray balls, which are good inventions, the white balls, and uh, gray balls are the good inventions that eventually are used for the bad. Nick Bostrom says the, um, eventually the chances that we pull out a black ball, which is a good invention that turns bad and cannot be reversed, will approach 100%. What about this issue? Um, there's there's no really no oversight on on that part if you completely uh, put the government out of the story so shouldn't there be some symbiosis there as well between government and technology of course and that's happening eh? if you look at the detection of fake news that's something where uh, for instance uh, vfd the belgian the flemish television is is working on the ai based detection of, of fake news uh, tom van de wegen is was very focused with his stanford uh, um internship um, so, I mean, people and societies, institutions are working on the oversight. They are discussing it. There are a lot of fora where people are discussing the negative aspects of, 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 of the powerful AI systems that we, we see coming right now. But I think Nick Bostrom especially is a little bit fear-mongering because you could have quite the same discussion about inventions that have been commoditized. I mean, look at uh, missile technology. I mean, uh, on the one hand, it can destroy a city. Uh, I mean, putting a nuclear bomb in a missile. But on the other hand, if you look at Starlink satellites, they can make sure that everybody on Earth can challenge their governments by going on the internet and looking up what, how corrupt they are, for instance. You understand? So I, I wouldn't focus on, on one thing or the other being negative or positive it's it's just how the how our society advances i mean we are becoming technology as well so it's it's part of our it will be part of our nature part of our dna to uh, to become more technological mm. 
Well, for, I was thinking as well, for example, about the recent idea for an app that traces who you meet in order to map who could be infected by you once you test positive. Right now, it seems something like that could be introduced with ease. Um, but look 10 to 15 years in the future, people could still have it on their phones, even when it's not relevant anymore. And some of your very personal data could still be connect, co collected. So do you pay attention, especially in this period, to this, the end justifies the means problem? Um, that is a very good point. And, and I'm very sure that some governments will misuse the corona crisis to track people uh, much more than before, especially governments that are not democratically, uh, democratically elected because they fear the, the power of the people uh, at some extent, especially if the, if the people are becoming poorer or more vulnerable, then you will have more societal uh, unrest. So uh, it's a very good uh, point that you're raising and it will be an issue. And um, we have to fight against uh, Big Brother-like installments based on the so-called corona urgencies. And at the same time, we have to be careful about our economy and see that even with the danger, uh, the sword of Damocles of our heads, we need to go back to work. We need to use technology to um, avoid killing our economy, especially in Belgium. Um, the, the risks in Belgium are much bigger than, um, than in other countries. So you would start up the economy way faster than it's planned to, to be started up right now? Well, I'm in, in favor of uh, a much bigger technological push, not only on tracing, but also on testing, in order that um, yeah, people that are less vulnerable can be yeah, uh, more active than they are right now uh, in the economy. The same with children. What we see is, 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 is brutal in terms of um, yeah, uh, household violence. Um, mm. People that were already poor, that, that become more poor, they have no access to laptops, they are living in two small rooms. I think the, 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 the collateral damage of the lockdown at some point will become bigger than than the yeah than than, than other damages of the of the, the virus. Mm. Yeah, I think it's at one point realizing that even healthy persons or even healthy people can can get sick and not not alone yeah. by the by the coronavirus but by the uh, isolation and and all the stuff that's going yes. on. So yeah. Yeah. And and talking about um, we're playing. Yeah. Go ahead. We're playing with the dreams of people, eh? people that are now in the, uh, in, in the best period of their lives, students. Uh, I mean, isolation is doing really bad stuff to people. They, it leads to mental issues. It leads to broken relationships. It's, it's, it's not uh, obvious to, um, yeah, to lock up people for an indeterminate uh, time. Eh? Yeah, I agree completely. That's also a discussion we had with uh, Dirk de Wachter in some, some episodes ago. Um, yeah. So, talking a, a bit more positive, uh, there's, there's a lot of interest in personal agency to, take it COVID, to tackle COVID-19 with a lot of hackathons, a lot of data sets that are being made public for which people can write predictive algorithms. There are folding at home initiatives. 
Um, for example, also RoboVision's mission to make AI accessible for anyone. But I always wonder, is this useful? Is there a lot that comes out of this public programming hype? I think it's, uh, it's, it's very useful on a positivity level in the sense that people that are making masks, they're not only making the masks, but they're showing um, their, their, the other people that they care about um, the crisis. Um, it's the same with, with 3D printing and, and maker community. Anthony Likas uh, has been very effective in bringing together a lot of uh, people, a lot of makers, and he's been heard by the politicians as well. And you have the production of a lot of masks, but you also have the synergy of, of, of a lot of positive, smart people working together for the better of the people. So, um, I, I and in some cases, it's very efficient. I think these masks have been, uh, it's, it's a really good initiative. In other cases, like folding at home, I'm not quite sure where this will lead to the super duper molecule um, I mean, I cannot do it for myself. Just step back. What is folding at home for people that don't know it? Well, folding at home is the um, making your um, computational resources like a GPU, um, your graphics card, available for AI computations of um, yeah, protein folding techniques that are related to the COVID crisis. So a lot of molecules have to be modeled. Um, and have the, these models has all continents. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of compute power to simulate all these proteins. But I'm just not aware how useful that is for for that um, uh, experiment. For the simple fact that many AI and deep learning algorithms require close proximity. not technical enough about this project to judge whether it's it's truly groundbreaking or whether it's a marketing stunt okay so the i think the connection is a bit unstable so i'll try to summarize so mm -hmm. falling at home basically is the decoding of proteins yeah. um, that you can do at home that you can run on your computer on your own uh, cpu and yeah. um it is used as well for COVID-19 to decode the viral proteins that are inside the uh, COVID-19 virus or not. No, it's, it's more used for the molecules, the detection of the molecules that, are, that can be active to fight the binding um, points of the virus. So okay. the folding is, is, is meant to actually discover molecules that can be quintessential in, in, in the molecular uh, fight against the, the, the virus. And you think it's not um, that useful as other initiatives that are out there? The pulling up? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not technical enough about this specific pro uh, project to judge it one way or another, but I can imagine that a dedicated supercomputer is much more efficient than thousands of people letting their GPUs burn at night. Mm. Because that's also a, an electricity uh, thing. Eh? I mean, uh, you just um, consume a lot of power by all these towns of people that leave their GPUs active. Eh? Mm. Exactly, yeah. So, um, 
to end, to conclude on a, on a more personal question, and you can either answer or not, it's, it's up to you. Let's say by tomorrow everything is allowed, no measures. What's the first thing you want to do again? Oh, um, that's a good point. Going in a restaurant and having a, a very cozy dinner, um, that's, uh, I mean, I think the, yeah, the service economy is just gone. It's it's just so strange to walk through Antwerp, for instance, and I mean, not be able to sit somewhere and just eat or drink something. You're pushed away everywhere you consume. You you are forced to leave as soon as possible for the better sake of society, of course. But it's very strange because it's it has some psychological uh, aspect of feeling lost. Also, if you walk in a city where we were so used to the service economy and to the the warm that it's generated also the 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 yeah the people in the restaurant caring about you asking how it goes and the the small chats i mean that's gone it's 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 brutal i mean i i really want to uh, yeah, have a beer on the terrace and and or mm. have, a, have a good lunch at uh, the antwerp south yeah, exactly. It's it's some kind of trust reciprocity, and um, yeah. in Dutch it's called samen leving, which literally means live together, um, yeah. as a translation of society. So that's falling away, and and that's like the the thing that makes humankind the that's the asset of humankind that we do things together, that we co-create. So. Exactly. Once that falls away, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty big gap. I agree on that part. Yes, yes. But, uh, but thank you for this discussion. It was really interesting. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for making the You're time. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. See you guys. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this one. This has been the third episode of our official podcast, Extra Time. Make sure to follow if you've gotten this far. The third episode was a pretty interesting one with Jonathan Berthe, but more is upcoming, more is upcoming. We have still some stuff in store for you and we will try to provide you with weekly podcasts on every Monday. So be sure to check it out and the best way to do that is to follow. Yes, sir. So stay tuned as well on our event pages for upcoming events. Our music producer is Paul the Poet. See link in bio. Thanks. Cheers.